ready to share God's word with you guys today. And as I, as I do so, I'm asking you just to push out all your distractions. Get rid of all the, the thoughts and the clutter of everything that's been swirling around you. You know, I know that holiday times can, they tend to bring out the best and the worst. In fact, I, I've always noticed that some of our biggest pastoral, my, as a pastor, some of the biggest pastoral challenges that I face in a church tend to happen during holiday times. And, uh, and, that's, and, and if you've gone through some tough stuff, I just encourage you just to let God speak to you and minister to you. If your holiday season was great and full of cheer, just keep that going. And put that smile on your face, every one of you, because God has something amazing for you today. God bless you. You can have a seat. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and hold your place there. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, team. Um, hey, uh, while you're opening your Bibles to Matthew 14, 22, I just want to, uh, I want to mention that that uh, here in a few weeks, actually a couple weeks in, in mid-January, we have something that, uh, that, that I've initiated here in town. It's called the Mayor's Week of Compassionate Service. And if you are a business owner, if you are an influencer in your place of business, what I'm going to ask that you do is right after church today, meet me for five minutes. I just want to share with you a little bit of information about the Mayor's Week of Service and how you can be a part. It's really very, very simple. And, and my goal is to see as many believers as possible, just having their name out there as being people who are, who are uh, engaging compassion in the city. But it'd be very, very simple, uh, but I'd love it if, if I could meet with you or if you're interested in more, I'm going to meet right over in that corner right after service today. So don't forget that. It'll be about a five-minute presentation with Q&A for me. But today's message, along with the next several Sundays, has everything to do with our theme for 2016, which I'm going to be sharing next uh, Sunday evening at our Vision Banquet. But God calls us to take action. God wants us to do something with our lives. And, and it's a new year. And what we're supposed to be doing in this new year is making wise choices that initiates uh, progress. And, and many of you, the progress that you initiate right now is going to continue with you for the remainder of this year. And, and for some of you, it's literally going to alter the trajectory of your life. It's kind of like you're standing at this fork in the road and you get to choose. And over the next few weeks, what I'm going to do, and I want you to be here with me every day, every Sunday the next few weeks, I'm going to gently nudge you with a smile to take a certain path. Now, this path that I'm going to nudge you toward is a tried and proven ancient path. It's a path that will allow you to reach your destiny and live out your purpose. Thus, the, the, uh, the, the series title, which is called Destiny and Purpose. In fact, Jeremiah 6.16 puts it this way. It says, this is what the Lord says. It says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Stand, look, ask, walk. And what it says is, is that you're going to find rest for your racing mind and your, and your up and down emotions. That's what the scripture says right there. And I'm telling you guys, that's God's plan for you. And that's what I want for you as well as your pastor. And today's message is entitled Living a Big Life. 
But, but I think in order to discover a big life, you're going to have to do something. And that means to stand, look, ask, ask, walk, and find. And, and if you'll notice that, that in that passage of scripture, those are all verbs, which means you've got to take some action. Living a big life is what this is all about. And, and the truth is, I don't want my life to be small. Uh, in fact, I don't think God wired any of us to go through life with zero impact. And I honestly believe this, is that every one of us are wired for a big life, regardless of your past, regardless of your age, regardless of your education or your occupation, the size of your bank account. None of that has any bearing on living a big life. Here's what it is. It's simply doing something. It's an adventure that's waiting to happen for everyone. See, a big life is lived in the moment. It means you're fully present in the moment. You're standing at these crossroads. And that's how Jesus lived. Jesus lived fully present in each moment, every day. And he gave his attention and his heart and his affection and energy to the people around him who were in need. And that's basically living a big life, being fully present. You know, some people try to do the God stuff on Sunday mornings. And then they do the family stuff and the work stuff and the recreation stuff the rest rest of the week, but the truth is, if you live in the moment, fully present, what happens is it blends it all together in this healthy way. You know, whether it's my work or family time or ministry or my pursuit of God, none of those are really separate from one another. See, I, I, I've never really made these, these intentional, completely distinct compartments for each little area of my life because it, honestly, it simply doesn't work that way because living a big life means living in the moment and all of it comes together. You know, I was thinking about this, a lot of, a lot of pastor's kids, I'm a pastor's kid, but a lot of pastor's kids end up despising ministry. They loathe church and honestly, they're bitter at their parents and, but, 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 something interesting has happened in my family. And part of this is what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks is my story. See, that, that's not happened in my family. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. In fact, my family, my sons especially, I mean, did, my sons have never despised ministry like most pastor's kids or many pastor's kids. And why? I think one of the main reasons is this, is because family time and ministry time were never fully separated. See, in my family, ministry is something that we do. It's who we are. Ministry is not something that dad does that pulls him away from the family. No, it's just something that we all do and we all love. In fact, my oldest son, Preston, he's a staff member here at City Life. My, my two younger sons, Devin and Ian, they're, they're taking their college courses. And Ian's still in high school taking his college courses, preparing for ministry. See, that's what they want to do. And that comes from living in the moment. That comes from living a big life. See, a big life is also not dependent upon your past. In fact, the starting point of Jesus' life was very humble and meager. In fact, it was about as tough as you can get. And then he grew up in a small community, in a tiny community, in a tiny country, uh, uh, you know, being, being born in a filthy stable. And he was ostracized. He was criticized his whole life. And, but the beginnings of Jesus' life didn't dictate his future. And neither should your beginnings dictate your future either. That means, that means no sin, no abuse, no poverty, no health crisis, no small beginnings can have any bearing on you choosing to live a big life. 
Truth is, I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm no one special, but I chose long ago to live a big life in spite of my humble beginnings. I mean, how does a baby who's born in a doctor's house and in the tiny Cascade Mountains logging town of Randall, Washington, end up in the middle of a major city pastoring wonderful people? Well, it, it, it comes about this way. It's a choice to walk down the ancient path. It's a choice to walk away from the past and don't look back. See, a big life is also about continuing to keep moving forward. And it's just about taking a step every day. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. It's, it's really quite simple when you know that God is with you. And regardless of what's going on in your life, God is there. He wants to lift you up. He wants to sustain you if you're simply willing to keep moving forward. Jesus promised, I'm never going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you on the journey. In fact, he is committed to be with you for the long haul. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. It says, the Lord has said, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. I'm telling you guys, you don't have to fear the unknown of what's in front of you anymore. The one who created you and this entire world is walking with you. And you don't have to be afraid. And you get to live by faith. Because a, a big life is marked by faith. I, in fact, I like to define faith this way. Faith is picturing the impossible possibilities and taking action. I mean, so, so what are some impossible possibilities that could happen if God shows up in the middle of your situation? But then understanding this is that, wait a minute, he is already in the middle of your situation. Now, now, picture the impossible possibilities and start taking bold action, believing that God's going to come through for you. you know, again, it's going to change the outlook of your life. It's going to change the drudgery of your life, and it's going to engage you into the adventure of life. So my encouragement for you is very simple. It's this. It's for you guys to take control of your lives. <laughs> Do it. But simultaneously, at the same time, surrender all of your life to Jesus. Next few weeks, I'm going to talk about how we actually do those two things at the same time, because it does take both. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles. Now, I had you open up to Matthew 14, 22, and, and, and as I've, I've, I, I'm going to take us through these faith steps of Peter. And this is a story that's been told over and over. I mean, he was a fisherman whose occupation was all about being in a boat on the water. Now, I want to let you guys know, I don't like boats on the water. I don't enjoy boating. If you have a boat, do not invite me to go with you. Uh, a few years ago, my, my wife's family coaxed me into uh, going whale watching in Puerto Vallarta. And, and during that whale watching adventure, um, I, I, I'll just let you know, my, my prayer life spiked. I prayed for two hours solid. I am, I'm totally serious. I mean, so, so the story that I'm about to tell you kind of stresses me out just a little bit. See, because Jesus and his disciples, they had finished this full day of ministry. And, and we pick up in the story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 of what was actually getting ready to happen. Now, follow along with me. It says, Jesus, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. <laughs> Again, I like that the leader gets out. Okay, you guys get in the boat. Like, I am not getting in the boat. That's, that's how I would pastor my 
team. All right, you guys get in the boat. I'll see you later. But he made him get into the boat and go ahead over to the other side. Now, this is not, this says this is a lake, but it's not like a Texas lake because Texas lakes are really not lakes. They're reservoirs and they're kind of ponds. But, but uh, this was a lake. Okay, this is a, this is a huge, huge, vast body of water. It says that he went to go on uh, to see, he wanted them to go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. He dismissed the service. After he dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night when he was alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, it was buffeted by waves and the wind was against it. Now, shortly before dawn, now keep in mind, they've been out there in this storm all night. This is not just something little, little quick, little storm that came up. They've been out there in this all night on this lake trying to get to the other side. So now it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, here's where it gets crazy. If it wasn't already crazy that Jesus is walking on the water. So, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, <laughs> he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And part of the picture that I just got as I was even studying this, uh, preparing for this message was, was as he lifted up Peter, he didn't like carry him back. Peter was started walking on the water again back to the boat. So there they were going back. Now that is cool. See, here's the, here's the setting. These disciples were fulfilling their destiny. These guys knew their purpose. But a storm came in the middle of their pursuit of their destiny following their purpose and it made things miserable for them just like it does for us. Now, I am never going to criticize Peter for what happened that day because he's still the only man who actually got out of a boat and walked on water. But he's human, though. And he looked around and, and he started noticing all the terrible things that were happening to him and he got afraid. Uh, but, but I love it, though. He did the right thing. He, he cried out to Jesus. I mean, think about this. Peter was simply doing something that he had done all of his life, he was walking. He was putting one foot in front of the other. Just walking. Nothing different than he's ever done in life before. He just happened to be walking on water. But, but, you know, and, and it's tough enough to be walking on a windy day. But, but to add in the fact that you're walking on water, and then you got to think, it wasn't a flat surface. Recently, I've learned there's a big difference between uneven surfaces and flat surfaces. I, I didn't know there was a difference until now, and I definitely know that's the case. I cannot imagine what that was like. And, and, and you, you have yourself here now in that setting, a very peculiar situation, you're going to get afraid. Some of you guys, you're in a situation just like that right now. 
you're following God, you're pursuing Jesus, you're, you're, you're taking strides toward him, but everything is looking really, really scary. And I'd say one of the biggest reasons why we stumble in our journey and we begin to get afraid is then we just kind of take things into our own hands. We try to use our intelligence to get ourselves out of the latest stress. We forget that Jesus is right there waiting for us to call him. But all we can feel is the wind. All we can feel is the, the rain and it's, it's pelting our face. And, and all we can feel is the ground rolling unstable beneath us. And, and, and all we can sense are the waves crashing into us and fear ensues and we began to sink as soon as the fear kicks in. You know, we're, we're so adept at caving into pressure, the stress of life of living in the big city. A failed company, a missed mortgage payment, a marriage that's nothing but frustrating, a physical handicap, I understand that, <laughs> a disease, a huge emotional setback, the loss of a family or a friend, a massive legal problem, and then you just get your eyes off Jesus because you get scared. But then what happens is we isolate ourselves and then we break down and we don't want anyone to see us in this state of misery. And I think that's the biggest mistake that we can make. We have to remember, though, that Jesus is right there waiting for us to call on him. But you might say, but I don't see Jesus. Well, that's because we often forget this, is that Jesus most often uses believers around us a.k.a. people in your church to encourage, to help, and to lift you up during your time of trial and pain. So where's Jesus? Take a look around the room. See, living a big life is what, what, what Peter did. Living this big life is a choice to take a journey. Living a big life means following this unknown pathway, and, and, it, and it's filled with all kinds of interesting twists and turns and surprises around every bend, and there's no way to know what's out in front of you, and that's why I encourage you and urge you to do this, is to have faith to trust God with these unknown future details of your life. If you really want to live this big life, you need to absolutely remain engaged with your faith like never before and get your eyes on Jesus and expect the unexpected and resist the urge to simply be blown around by the wind and the waves of life. Hey guys, if you're sinking, get your eyes back on him and call out to him now. If you're still on the boat, get out of the boat and start walking on water. Your purpose and your destiny will be fulfilled as you resist the wind and you, when you find those creative, God-inspired ways around the obstacles that are in your life. It's all about moving forward because a big life pursues destiny and purpose. So what is it that you're called to do? I mean, if, that, that's part of this discovery process I'm taking you through over the next few weeks. And, but you absolutely have to keep your heart focused on the things that God has purposed you to do. It's your purpose. You need to keep your eyes fixed also on your destiny. And I'll let you know what your destiny is. Your destiny is something that's not of this world. Here's what I know about my destiny and purpose, a little bit about my own life. My destiny is this. It's eternity with Jesus. And I hope that's your destiny as well. Anything short of that is a short-sighted destiny that will only lead to frustration. See, guys, that's what I'm focused upon. And until I get there, I'm going to be enjoying the adventures on the path that I'm blazing pretty simple. My purpose, though, is this, is, and this is important, is to create a church that makes Jesus known. Create a church that makes Jesus known. This is a huge part of my purpose. 
And, and it, it's been burning in my life, burning in me like all my life. I, I knew from a very young age that I had this purpose in my life and, and it was this purpose to lead God's people and, 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 to, and to build God's kingdom. And I simply had faith to believe that God could use little me. <laughs> and even though I was flawed and very imperfect, and I was always in need of some encouragement, but God knew what I needed to weather the journey, and he provided it for me. And I'm grateful. See, I'm grateful because this beautiful brunette with long, gorgeous hair would come alongside and become my daily encouragement. I'll never forget the day, 1986. It was a Monday morning chapel service at Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas. On the platform, while I was leading the faculty and the student body and exalting Jesus, my eyes honed in on this gorgeous girl about 25 rows back. That entire morning, no kidding, I had no idea what I was saying or doing on that platform. Nothing. All I could see was the woman of my dreams worshiping God and listening to every single word that I was saying. And I just thought, I have to bump into her after the service. And so, and so she was sitting about halfway back, and I knew that if I was going to be able to get close to her, that I was going to have to make this quick, radical exit from the platform. And so upon dismissal, I literally ran down the aisle before her row emptied so I could just like accidentally intersect with her. And I'm telling you guys, my timing was perfect. Thank you, God. The, 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 the crowd began to flood the aisles just as I fell in right behind her. God works in wonderful ways. I just, just to let you know. I, I then, I then got behind her and said, now what do I say? Because I'm behind her. I thought, well, I decided to make a comment about her gorgeous hair. And she turned her head around and she smiled and she commented back at my wonderful green tie that I was wearing. We were smitten with love. And, and the truth is, is as she was then, she is now. See, what Rebecca does is she supports me with encouraging words that nobody gets to hear but me. She ministers to me behind the scenes. She cares for me in unique ways that I need as a man and as a minister. See, her primary ministry always was and always will be to me. She knows the truth. Tim needs help. <laughs> During our engagement, we lived in separate cities for about 15 months. Rebecca would fly up from San Antonio on weekends, and she was using this cool deal then as a Southwest Airlines $15 one-way student fare. Pretty good deal. And she would spend one weekend a month with me. But of course, she was spending the time at her, spending the night at her friend's house, just, just to let you know. Uh, but, but usually, we would spend Friday evening together. It would kind of work this way. And then, and then on Saturday morning, I would pick her up, and I would bring her to the church where I volunteered, and she would help me work in the children's evangelism program. In fact, there's a little slide up there. It was called Super Gang. I, I forgot to put that in the notes, but I think, yeah, yeah, that, that, was, the, that was the name of the, of the children's evangelism program that we were a part of. And we ran all these buses and picked up kids from the neighborhoods. And, and, uh, and, and, but we worked it together. And we were, it's a great time doing God's work, just spending time together. Saturday evening would arrive, and we would spend a little more time together before I headed back to my paying job, which was stocking groceries at the Kroger store, which no longer exists in Waxahachie. Then I would get off work about Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, about 6 a.m., 
I would go back to my apartment, shower, change, and then go pick her up and take her to church. And she would help me then as I ministered in the 8 a.m. and the 10 a.m. Sunday children's services. After church, we'd go get some food, and then I'd return her to Love Field, and, and, and I would go back to my apartment and then sleep until classes started again Monday morning. That's what it was at least one weekend a month. And for me, that was a wonderful weekend with my future bride. Truth is, we, during those times, we began to talk about our ministry calling and my ministry calling. We talked about sacrifice. I explained to her that statistically only about 2% of pastors earn financially what they could earn if they worked in a non-ministry profession. And she said she was okay with that, yet she also wisely helped me sit to say we don't need to be poised to acquiesce to a life of poverty and accept lack as our statistical destiny. Through our engagement, she was by my side. She ministered with me. But most of all, she ministered to me. Because God knows that's what I need the most on my journey. I knew she was the one for my life. And at our wedding ceremony 27 and a half years ago, I jumped the gun and I didn't let my dad, who was officiating the ceremony, finish the statement as to whether I would take her to be my wife. I, I clearly remember this. My dad was saying this. He says, Timothy, do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? And as dad just drew this quick breath. Before he could complete the rest of the statement, I blurted out, I do! And then I realized it was wrong, and I blushed, and we both laughed, and the congregation chuckled, and, and, and the truth is, there's been laughter in our lives ever since. Dad just looked at me kind of strange, and he just continued saying the lines. He said, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, and sickness and in health, till death do us part, forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live. And then I went, I do! I, 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 and, and then it's just this, the whole place went into this uproar of laughter. It was never my goal to make our wedding ceremony a comedy show, which it ended up being. But the truth is, I was overjoyed that God had brought her into my life, and I was honored that she had chosen me and I had chosen her as a lifetime marriage covenant partner. God brings people into our lives to help us to move forward. And the vows that I took that day, they mean a lot. What those vows mean is that you're going to love each other regardless of whether you're happy, sick, wealthy, poor, healthy, whatever. It's a love of choice. It's not, not based upon circumstances. It's not based upon fleeting emotion. So you're family, and you can't let anything come between that regardless of what was modeled to you by your parents or others around you. We chose to hold fast. We've chose that. We're going to hold fast to our vows because it's a relationship of covenant, not convenience. See, God's relationship with us is also one of covenant. It's not convenience. And we let God down all the time. But he didn't cut us off. So if marriage works this way and relationship with God works this way, back to my purpose here, why can't church operate with these same principles? And I believe it can, and it should, and it must. And I believe we must. In fact, I am called, and I am motivated to see that happen. It's part of my purpose. It's how I live a big life. I believe big. I expect big. Because transformed lives is what I'm passionate about. Encouraging people to take huge steps of radical faith, that motivates Tim Woody. Seeing folks stand at the crossroads and choose the ancient path 
path, stepping out of the ordinary and beginning to walk into the extraordinary is what brings joy to my heart. Inspiring and, and, and encouraging people to simply help others and to surround and support and encourage those who are sinking while they're walking through a tough time is what makes my day. Seeing people love one another and lift each other up through the trials and failures and sicknesses and difficulties and poverty and pain and sin, that's what a church must be. And when we can really love each other like that, the truth is, is this profound miracle starts working among us. So for me, creating this atmosphere is part of what I'm born to do. It's part of my purpose. It's how I live a big life. And as a broken person who's messed up here with his leg still currently uh, unable to walk unassisted yet, I experienced something very interesting during the time I was on both crutches and my leg was totally immobilized. And it was one that there were two experiences of two locations, one that was actually very inviting and encouraging in light of my brokenness, and another that seemed offended and annoyed that I was flawed. And here's the story. It's two places that I frequent. The gym is one, LA Fitness, and the other is a particular grocery store that I'm not going to name, but it's a market that's central. And, and I experienced... <laughs> I experienced this contrast, and, and please know that this, this is just a, like a wow moment for me. My feelings are never hurt by any of this. But it became clear to me that the church atmosphere that I'm called to create is a whole lot more like a gym, and it's not like the market that's central. Well, let me explain. At the gym, what I found that in my brokenness, it's an interesting atmosphere because there are all these different types of people and everyone is at a different stage in their health and some are injured, some are very healthy. There are a few that show off, but not many. But at the gym, there are, there are these unspoken spoken support system rules, I guess, because the injured... I've found are accepted and encouraged. The overweight are accepted and encouraged. The physically frail are accepted and encouraged. Unfortunately, some are unwilling to go to the gym because they wrongly perceive that the gym is a place where they're going to be judged or looked down upon because they have imperfections, because they think everyone there is just a big show off. And that's so far from the truth. And the truth is, I mean, sure, there will always be a few of those who spend all their money on the latest fitness attire and they invest hours of, you know, in a flexing their muscles in front of the mirror, but honestly, they're few and far between. And it's the same in churches. There are always going to be some of those who like to show off their spirituality, and when we see those people, we just smile at them and walk right on, all right? But see, at the gym, everybody wants to hear my story. I am so sick of telling my story at the gym. And they gather others around to hear my story again. They all want to know about my journey to recovery. I cannot walk in any LA fitness gym in this city without people saying, so how are you doing now, Tim? How's, the, how's things developing? You see, because at the gym, most people are cheering me on. They stop and help me if I drop something. They open doors for me. They encourage me to be careful and not slip on the wet floor with my crutches. They carry things for me. I'm telling you guys, this is what I believe church should be like. Yet church should not be like the market that's central. And the truth is, sure, the market that is central has the most, they have the best foods and the healthiest fare in town. 
It's also true that they have staff members that are very helpful and very warm. Unfortunately, I discovered in my crippled state that the people who shop there, no shame, but it's true, the people who shop there for the most part are actually quite the opposite. See, I've made two courageous visits to the market that is central since I've been on crutches. I go there all the time, it's not a big deal, but both of those, both were, were by far, by far the worst experiences in public since this happening. I thought my worst experiences were going to be at Walmart. I was wrong. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. I was never offered any help from one other person around me. My shopping cart was rammed on three occasions by shoppers who acted like they couldn't see me. None of them were blind, trust me. People would move right in front of me when I was standing looking for an item on the shelf and I couldn't move, so I just had to stand there and wait till they moved out of the way. When I dropped an item once, I had to use my crutches like hockey sticks to jettison it over to an area where I could beg someone to pick it up for me. Never was I offered help from another customer. Really, honestly, they, they acted like they couldn't see me. On a few occasions, this happened. People, shoppers, let out huge sighs of frustration as I was slowly moving down the aisle. Not hogging the aisle, but just staying on my side. On one occasion, so many people, this, this was the bizarre, most bizarre moment, so many people were pushing and aggressively zigzagging around me, and it wasn't the day before Christmas either, and they were cutting in front of me so quickly that I stood in one spot for over a minute. I was un, unable to really safely move through the crowd. Finally, one of the very friendly, warm employees approached me and he, he, he apologized for the behaviors of the shoppers. I mean, he, he came to me and said, I want to, he said this, he said, sir, I'm watching how the people are treating you here and I am embarrassed. I'm going to help you do your shopping until you leave. And that was awesome. Because the truth is, my fellow shoppers were not friendly to flawed people. Now, I'm not offended at all. I'm just enlightened. And I'll go back because I want to shop there. And I'm going to shop where I want to shop. But it got me to thinking about church and how many churches are like that to flawed people. See, what I concluded is that the people who shop at the market that is central, for the most part, had no clue that they were acting in such a way. They were just doing it by their nature. And one thing about me is I always read social cues. I've learned to do that a long time ago, and it was very clear to me I was not welcome there. On my first visit, I thought it was just a fluke. I thought it was just some kind of an oddball situation, but on my second visit, it became very obvious that the physically crippled condition I was in was not acceptable in their shopping center. And it made me feel as if this particular market that is central is only for people who have it all together, who are in optimal health, and I didn't measure up. God forbid that our church should ever be like that. Offering the best of fare, having a wonderful and friendly staff, but full of people who shun the weak and the hurting. I don't want that. I want a church that's like a gym. A church that's a place of healing where there's encouragement and support. I want my church to be a place where others want to hear our stories. I want my church to be a place, place where, where you're never shunned. I want my church to be a church where, where, where those, there, there are never people who think themselves to be healthier than others and look down on others or that they're more privileged than other people. See, my church must be a place where everyone measures up. Why? It's not because we all have it all together, but it's because we're 
choosing the ancient path of pursuing Jesus. I am committed and I am purposed to advancing the kingdom of God and that kind of a church. I believe the best way to advance God's kingdom is through the local church. And I want my church to be like my gym. Because at City Life, as I've said so many times, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. I believe God uses people who have this attitude, living a big life. And, And if you're committed to advancing God's work in whatever way God has enabled you, I believe there are exciting adventures ahead of you. And I believe that you are living a big life because miracles are happening, guys, all around us all the time. Yet quite often they're silent and they're not trumpeted from the platform because most of what God does among us is unstated, it's unrecorded, and it's unnoticed. But God sees God. God notices and God records. It's it's, it's simply being more like Jesus because a big life follows the Jesus path. We need to follow the footsteps of Jesus and that church is where I'm gonna lead you this year. We're called to live out a purpose along this very challenging and windy path. We're on this journey to go down the ancient path toward a glorious, amazing destiny. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. And as we walk down that path, we're going to become more like Jesus every day. And it's going to be an adventure like none other. And I'm telling you guys, this pathway is not easy to walk. And it's certainly not predictable. But following your purpose and your destiny is a process that is going to bring you more adventure and more fulfillment in your lives than anything else here on earth. Hey, guys, live a big life. God still has amazing purposes and plans for you. Your adventure of a lifetime still is out in front of you. And as I've always said, the best is yet to come. And let it be this year. Let's pray. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to you about leaving the past behind and moving forward? What's God saying to you about the steps you need to take, the path you need to walk down? Listen to him. He's already talking. We're just quite often not listening. Today I'm going to close with a very different prayer, and I want you to pray these words with me, please. Come on, just follow me. Every person in the room, follow me with these words. Dear Jesus, I open my heart and I open my mind to what you're saying to me. And I'm asking you for the ancient path. I'm asking you for the good way. And I will walk in it. I expect, dear God, that you will be speaking to me at little intersections in my life 
all week long because I choose to be fully present knowing that you speak to me even outside of church. I commit this year to you. I commit myself to you. I choose to live a big life. In Jesus' name, amen.